Hello everybody and welcome to That's The Issue, the comic book podcast that gets to know you through the issues that you love. Uh, my name is Matt Loon and uh, welcome to the show folks. I am flying solo this uh, this month. Uh, my uh, co-host buddy Wes Messer is not with me um, so it's just going to be me talking to you uh, for the next hour or so and um, there's a couple of things I wanted to um, talk about this month. So we're not going to have any um, kind of grand sweeping question that we normally have. Um, we're not going to be opening up to uh, the multiversity staff and uh, people on twitter like we normally do um, but that will all be back to normal next month uh, in the meantime though i thought it'd be uh, fun just to kind of sit and chat with you guys and catch up on a few of the things um, that i've been reading um, so the first half of the show i'm going to be talking about um, the adventure zone um, the new graphic novel here there be goblins um, which arrived uh, well we came out in the uk yesterday so it's been out in the us for a little while now uh, probably about a month um, but uh, I only just got it in the UK yesterday um, so uh, I'm going to be talking about that I've had it for two days and I've already read it twice that's how good it is, that's how much I enjoy it um, and then the second half of the show I'm going to be talking about the Fantastic Four um, firstly because their uh, brand new series brand new number one uh, issue came out uh, last Wednesday and um, they were, uh, it was by Dan Slott, so Pacelli and a bunch of other people um, and I am um, also on Multiversity Comics I am going to be releasing a new monthly um, series, new monthly article series, annotations uh, on the Fantastic Four. So I'm going to be doing um, a, an article, the first of which will be up by the time you uh, hear this. It is called From the Files of the Baxter Building. Uh, thanks to uh, Editor-in-Chief Brian for coming up with a name. I am terrible with coming up with names for things. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be kind of talking about that a little bit, talking about the Fantastic Four issue one, and just kind of expanding on things that I wrote about in the annotations. Um, and uh, I won't be doing that every month the article comes out, but I just thought, just as an introduction, to it, I thought it'd be a good way to uh, to kind of ease uh, ease myself into this new article series by discussing a few of the finer points with yourselves. But before all that, uh, let us dive into the Adventure Zone. Now, if you are unaware of this um, phenomenon, really, I suppose it is, um, there is a podcast um, called The Adventure Zone, which is hosted by uh, the McElroy brothers, so that's um, Griffin, Justin and Travis, um, and um, it also stars their father, Clint McElroy, as well. Um, and if you're unaware of the, these guys, they are, um, the brothers three are the hosts of My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is a comedy podcast. Um, hosted on uh, the Maximum Fun Network and uh, they've been going for about seven or eight years with this show now. Um, every week they have an hour long or so show that uh, kind of answers answers questions uh, from public and kind of they're a bit of a, uh, they describe themselves as an advice show for the modern era. Um, but the Adventure Zone is uh, was initially an offshoot of that show. It was a one-off um, bit of a gag that they did um, that where they um, where Griffin, the youngest brother, hosted a D and D night for uh, his two other brothers and his dad, and um, the show was so successful that they decided to continue um, the uh, the adventure. They continued the campaign that they were doing, and it ran on um, the first kind of major arc of the Adventure Zone um, that they called the Balance Campaign. Uh, ran for about two and a half years, three years maybe, um, and that ended in 2017. And since then, the the show has continued. The adventure the adventure zone as a podcast has continued, and they've just started their second season, um, which has been Amnesty. Uh, and I say just started; they're on like episode 12 or 13 now. Um, but this graphic novel that came out, um, which was written um, predominantly by Clint McElroy, the father, but um, it was also credited to Griffin, Justin and Travis, obviously, because they were all involved in the uh, 
the creation of the show as it is. Um, and uh, Kerry Peach is the artist on it, and um, it's about 250 pages, and it is the graphic novel adaptation of the first arc of the campaign. So uh, the balance arc in total, like the balance campaign rather, ran for... Um, as I say, about two and a half years. And so throughout that campaign, there were a number of smaller arcs uh, within it that broke up the main story. So it was all D&D, actual play podcast, that they, uh, the actual play show that they did um, all together. And the first volume is the first arc of the story, which is called Here There Be Gerblins. Now, there's about eight arcs in total uh, so there's this there was uh, the next one was like kind of a train hoist uh, and then the one after that was a uh, like a um, a great race kind of thing um, and it continues on like that so there's about eight in total so in theory there would be eight of these graphic novels uh, that would be coming out but like at best they'd be coming out once a year um, which is scary to think about. I would be, I don't even want to know how old I'd be when the last one came out. Um, but, you know, fingers crossed that would be what happened. They've already got the next one planned. Uh, they've already announced that they're going to be doing the next arc um, of Balance, which is called Murder on the Rockport Limited. Um, but this uh, first volume, as I said, has just come out in the UK, came out yesterday as I'm recording this. Um, and it's awesome. It's really cool. I mean, you don't need to be a fan of the podcast to. Um, to kind of get, you know, what the story is about, you could pick up this this volume, this book. Um, it's about well, it's it's on the back of the um, novel. It's nineteen dollars ninety nine uh, on Amazon in the UK. It's fourteen ninety nine at the moment. Uh, Canada, it says twenty five ninety nine. Um, and so it's and it's a meaty volume. It's it, there's enough to kind of keep you going. It's not just a flimsy kind of read it once and be done with it. There's lots in there to to be reading on with. And to put it into context, that uh, this one book makes up probably about um, six episodes, six or seven hour-long episodes of the podcast itself. Um, so you get a lot of storyline built into this one book. Um, but it's, you know, even if, you know, you're a fan of the podcast, you've listened to all the episodes um, and you love and you love the show and you know you've you've got everything you can out of it i mean i've listened i recently just finished listening to the entire balance arc which is uh just under 70 episodes i think um i've just recently finished listening to that again uh for the second time so i've listened to the whole thing all the way through i know where the story's going i know where how it ends however reading this graphic novel there were still some you know surprises in there like there's things that they've missed out there's names of places and characters that they've had to change um and i'll explain why in a minute um but um but yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of new stuff in here and a lot of familiar things that they've been touched on uh from the podcast and it generally follows you know pretty faithfully the storyline from the uh, from the podcast but um they've had to trim things here they've had to insert things that kind of help to explain the storyline a little bit more um for a graphic novel purpose um but overall it's it's brilliant it's a kind of a, a brand new experience of this story um and the uh, interviews that I've read with uh, Griffin and Clint and Justin and Travis, um, they've all been keen to stress the fact that this is an in like one interpretation of the story. Um, and the reason for that, they're not saying that this is the canonical version. Um, there is no real canonical version outside of the uh, the audio podcast. And even then, you know, they they are keen to not um, fully describe 
the look of the characters or the um you know they don't really go into too much detail uh, that would definitively describe in your head who these characters are they like to leave it a little bit open so that the fan base can kind of create their own versions and kind of own these characters and relate to these characters without having to worry too much about the fact that you know at the end of the day this is four cishet white dudes um that are you know sitting around making a podcast um you would think that potentially there are elements to that which would lead to a little bit of um exclusion exclusionary um storytelling really um but what i love about balance arc and what has resonated with so so many fans um it uh you know so much so that this graphic novel um was the number one bestseller on the New York fiction, New York Times fiction bestsellers list, uh, which is uh, the first time that a graphic novel has done that apparently. Um, so that's amazing. That's you know unbelievable, and you know that kind of that shows how many people have resonated with this story. And I think they the reason for that is because the the four guys are very conscious of um, you know not being definitive about the the race and not even necessarily the gender of a lot of the characters uh, they go out of their way to stress that uh, there's you know there's a gay a queer wedding at the end uh, spoilers but I'm not going to tell you who it is um, and there's also um, a, a trans character that appears in there there's and you know there's there's some characters um, that are completely undefined you know they they mention their name um, they mention that they run a shop but there's no there's absolutely no description of what they look like so that the fan there's loads of fan artists that have recreated this and the, the fan art community is crazy it's wild if you just go on tumblr and have a look you'll see so many different iterations of these characters so many different looks so many different styles so many different races and ages um that it's uh, it's really fascinating to see um and i think they were very conscious of the fact that by releasing a graphic novel um that would um present a as close to canonical look for these characters as you could get from you know an audio medium they were keen to stress that this was not the canonical version it was kind of a version an interpretation of the story um and that presents kind of a unique um a unique element to this entire experiment really um because at the end of the day this is four guys recording a podcast uh, and they're sitting around playing a board game, or well, not a board game. That's extremely reductive. Um, they're playing a, you know, an RPG, um, a, you know, something that is mostly, you know, you use a lot of your own imagination uh, to to fill in the blanks of the story um, when you're playing D and D or any kind of tabletop game. Um, and you know what this does is they put this in an audio podcast so you know it kind of doubles down on the fact that there is no visual <laughs> there are no visual cues to um to kind of to help you out with it and then to convert that uh, into a, a graphic novel is you know nothing short of astounding really you know and that's a credit to the writers uh clint mcelroy and to the brothers but also to kerry peach who has gone out of you know out of the box has come up with this fantastic you know visual storytelling style um, there are certain character beats within the book uh, that are visual cues you know like um the the three characters um which i'll talk about more in a minute um they are 
you know they're obviously they we we know a lot about them at this point you know they've had two and a half years to to kind of build a character um of each, for each of them uh, in our minds um but also this is a graphic novel this is the first volume of a graphic novel so you don't you know you can't rely on the audience knowing all that um and what Carrie does with her art is you know incredible because it she recreates these characters perfectly to the point where there are um you know kind of visual comedy and visual you know uh characteristics character definitions like looks and body language and um and kind of action poses that are so perfect for those characters from what we understand them from the podcast that if you have no idea who these characters are no idea there even was a podcast you just picked up this book because it looked good um you would get what these characters are about you would get their whole deal um but another element to it is the fact that the the podcasts are um, improvisation, you know. So um, Justin, Travis, and Griffin—they are uh, brothers, but they're also comedians. Um, not professionally, or I suppose they are professionally now because you know they make a living from the podcast that they do. Um, but when they started the podcast, it was just their their, their own podcast. My brother, my brother, and me. Um, they were just you know three guys that got together and once a week chatted with each other made a few jokes and um and went from there and and it's that kind of warmth and humor that does travel across the adventure zone so when you if and when you do listen to the podcast if you haven't already i extremely recommend you do because it's really good um if you listen to both Mabimbam and the adventure zone um what the adventure zone does is injects that humor you know there isn't any there is a serious story that develops there is a there is serious emotion and drama and action and warmth um and you know real genuine stakes life or death stakes for these characters uh, but there's also irreverent you know humor and um and a lot of kind of cracking jokes um there's a lot of swearing a lot of like um a lot of blue language as my uh, as my grandma used to say um but that's all part of the charm of it and it is it does make it um even more appealing to me anyway and to clearly to a lot of fans um but the idea of not only converting an audio-based pod, like a podcast, basically an audio-based medium that is, you know, four people just playing a game and converting that into a graphic novel is one thing, um, but having to do it based on completely improvised material is is another, um, you know. And and a, a slight side note to that is the idea that this podcast, the Adventure Zone, created with the Balance Arc such a thoroughly entertaining satisfying and ultimately extremely narratively rewarding story across the two and a half years across these eight story arcs um and there was a perfect beginning middle and end to it um and it is kind of a capsule of storytelling you can listen to these 70 episodes uh, you know 60 68 69 episodes and you could be done with the story you know you can you can listen to it start middle and end and it concludes in such a spectacular fashion that kind of really wraps up everything in the story and to think that this is done from improvisation is is incredible you know um and then you know to come to step back from that side note and to convert that then into a you know a graphic novel that is legible that is um entertaining in its own right and can stand alone more importantly the last thing you want is to pick up a, a book uh that you know you have to listen to you know close to 100 hours of podcast to be able to understand it you know that's that's not tenable for anyone um but what it does do is it skirts that fine line between 
entertaining characters, an entertaining standalone story and rewarding experience for long-term fans as well. Um, so for that reason, it is it is a brilliant, brilliant book. Um, and also it's an entertaining D&D comic book, which isn't as common as you might think. You know, there's a lot of fantasy um comics out there uh, like scales and scoundrels for one um which is coming out at the moment from image comics um is brilliant um, and that's a great kind of uh, all ages fantasy um story um and then there's obviously you know books like bone and things like that which are masterpieces you know classics in their own right but this book is a a dnd uh, dungeons and dragons based comic book um it's not officially endorsed by dungeons and dragons and in fact they've had to change the names of characters and locations in this book from the podcast because when the podcast started they started using they used a um like a pre-written um storyline campaign for the first arc so moving on to the second arc and onwards you'll find that a lot of the names are are kept the same as they are in the podcast because they're all uh, inventions of griffin and uh, the the dm and he you know uh, he creates a lot more stuff as he moves forward um, but this first arc and the first volume here, the Goblins, had to change a lot of the information um, that was was in it, basically, because uh, of rights issues. So it's not an authorised Dungeons & Dragons uh, comic book, but it is a comic book that is um, very self-referential, self-aware that it is based on a tabletop RPG. And in fact, Griffin appears within the narrative as the DM um, to, you know, the Dungeon Master to to provide kind of comic relief to provide information and to push the narrative forward so rather than it being a graphic novel that is in universe kind of this is a fictional universe you're thrown deep into it these characters are kind of real in their universe it very much kind of has a wink and a nod to the reader to say yes this is this is people playing a podcast uh, this is people playing a tabletop rpg um and uh, griffin McElroy comes you know pops up in the little kind of corner every so often he's on the front cover in the corner as well and you can see him dropping um a 20-sided dice onto the head of uh, one of the characters so again it's very much kind of showing you and and proving to you that yeah this is a comic book that's based on a tabletop rpg like dungeon dragons-esque um tabletop rpg um so for that reason it's it's arguably one of the best um you know D based comic books that have have ever been released you know it's is it one of the best fantasy comics ever written that's not for me to say i loved it i absolutely loved it um and it's probably a bit too early to kind of declare it as uh, as one of the best but it's certainly you know one of the most entertaining one of the most rewarding ones and as the series progresses if they are lucky enough and uh, fortunate enough to be able to release to continue the balance arc you know um which by the very act of releasing this volume there is a kind of a um an expectation of fans that the entire thing will be collected um and so if that doesn't happen which as i say will at best be eight years before it's completely finished you know that and that is carry peach working flat out to get these storylines done because each campaign it gets more and more it gets longer gets more involved gets more complex and convoluted and there's a lot more um storyline packed into each one um this second to last um the second to last story arc especially um you know without without spoiling anything goes over a hundred years of of storyline within 
eight or nine episodes and so there's going to be a lot of condensing down to uh, in order to get that within a single graphic novel if they don't decide to kind of split them so you know i say at least eight volumes and at least eight years because this this project could take carrie or another artist you know if they decide to uh, to explore different artists for different volumes even though i know carrie peach is is signed on to do murder on the rockport limited which is the second one um which is great news uh, because she's she's really cool uh, the the art is perfect for this volume um there's there's humor there's heart and as i say it tells the story of these characters in a way that the the script uh, can't even capture um so it's it's absolutely incredible so you know if you're unaware of any of that that i've just told you um then i should probably tell you a little bit about what the actual story is itself so the story is a typical kind of fantasy start, um, fantasy adventure. Uh, it involves three characters. There's um, Taco, which is uh, who is a high elf wizard. There is um, Merle Highchurch, who is a dwarven cleric, and there's Magnus Burnside, who's a human warrior. And um, between the three of them, they are um, they are hired as kind of mercenaries, for want of a better word, to transport um, some goods by um, uh by kind of caravan across to uh the town that is the next town over uh which in the book is called Haverside um and they're hired by this uh dwarf and his uh male bodyguard that have that have traveled on ahead um as you'd expect something goes wrong uh the the um the three of them come across the bodyguard and the um the dwarf uh, missing. They they come across their horses slain in the road. Uh, goblins are involved. They go on a hunt to try and find these two, and then start stumble upon a grander kind of mystery for hidden artifacts and and treasures. Um, and that's where this story, this this arc, this volume is concerned with. There is a grander story that gets unveiled near the end of this book that will travel uh, that will transport them through the rest of the volumes and will kind of set up the grander campaign um, but that's all you need to know going into this one it's just three kind of guys that are um on a on a, a mission that ends up kind of going south pretty quickly and then leads them even quicker into a uh, a grander mystery that needs to be solved um, and it's 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 a you know kind of a stereotypical kind of setup um, but that's because it was based on a you know a pre-written campaign uh, within D and D, that they've since kind of moved away from. Um, but you know, things have been changed in the book that uh, were not in the podcast, and things that were in the podcast have had to be removed from the book in order to make it work. But it really does work. You know, it's it's hard for me as someone who has listened to the actual podcast uh, a good couple of times now um, to you know completely remove myself from that. So you know, you do hear their voices when you're reading the book you do kind of um laugh at the same jokes that were you know that you remember them making and you remember them laughing at the jokes as they were coming up with them to see them on the page and to see them recreated by Kerry here is yeah is amazing and it's really cool to see and it's really it makes me laugh as well and it really made me laugh reading this book uh, which is not something i get with uh, with comic books very often um but i was kind of openly laughing at some of the things that were happening um but um but yeah it's it's a really good book you don't need to as i say have listened to the podcast this works as a storyline it works as a standalone book as well so again if you know the idea of listening to 100 hours of podcasts is daunting then the idea of 
you know, buying the first volume of potentially an eight-volume set and committing to the next eight years is even more daunting. Um, you don't need to worry about that either because this is this does end with a kind of a tantalising, oh, where is it going to go next? But this does have a complete beginning and middle and end to the storyline. Um, you know, you read this book and you get a satisfying tale, um, satisfying fantasy adventure tale um, that you know, you'd want to read again. There is a lot of swearing in it, so even though it looks kind of cute and looks like it could be all ages, it's absolutely not all ages, so um, please don't think uh, that you can be reading it with kids, you know, unless you've got some really cool kids. Um, just kidding. Um, but um, but yeah, so it's um, it's an awesome book, and it's uh, it's something I really recommend, and uh, yeah, I, as I say, I've read it twice. Um, as soon as I finish recording this, I'm going to go down and read it again, because I've just been talking about it, and I really want to read it again. Um, and also, I'm going to listen along with the podcast as well, because it's really worth listening along. Um, the um, the or, the Adventure Zone podcast um, is actually on their second year now, as I say, so they're on episode 12 of their Amnesty arc, which is completely different storyline, completely different characters. The character, the world of Merle, Taco and Magnus is essentially done, it's completed. You know, they, they got to the end of that storyline, uh, they got to the end of the balance arc, and that is finished, it's done. Um, they do live shows, and they do live shows um, with the characters from the balance arc, uh, so if you do miss those characters and you want more from them they do release live episodes uh, on the podcast feed as well every so often um but the new arc which is amnesty which is you know kind of going off on a tangent from the book really and talking about the podcast now i recommend the podcast as well um i have started i lo- i listened to amnesty as it was coming out but i kind of stopped listening to the last three or four episodes um because i was playing catch up i was i was well, i was listening again to the balance arc uh, so rather than kind of listen to two at once i gave up on amnesty and listened back to balance again but now i'm going back over amnesty and it's um it's it's really good as well it's like it's completely different to balance um it's more of a monster of the week uh, kind of buffy x-files supernatural style um kind of adventure that they're playing instead uh we're dealing they're dealing with kind of cryptids so the first storyline deals with bigfoot and goes on from there um and it's 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 so much fun they the guys are you know so entertaining so warm so funny um that it's really worth kind of listening to um and so i listen to that i listen to the bim bam i listen to a couple of other their podcasts um they used to do YouTube videos. Uh, Griffin and Justin used to do YouTube videos for Polygon um, called Monster Factory and a few other kind of projects of theirs, which are equally as funny. Um, so, yeah, you know, check them out. There's a lot of things to to expose yourself to. And if you are aware of this, if you are already a fan of these people, let me know what you thought of the book. Let me know what you thought of the graphic novel. Let me know what you think of it as an adaptation. Let me know what you think of it as an actual standalone uh, kind of unit of comics. Um, and share your thoughts uh, with me and I'll read them out in the next show uh, or kind of you know tweet at me at Matt Loon or you could tweet at the show at that's the issue as well um, but yeah su- super good book highly recommend it um, Brian uh, our editor-in-chief actually reviewed it uh, for multiversitycomics.com so um, while you're on the site listening to this podcast or if you're not listening to this podcast through multiversitycomics.com I encourage you to go there uh, firstly there's tons of awesome reviews um, including stuff from myself 
Um, but also, Brian did a review, a full review of Adventure Zone, Here There Be Gerblins. Um, and you can find that over on multiversitycomics.com. Just uh, go to the search bar, search for Adventure Zone, or scroll through the reviews. Um, and uh, I was happy to see that he agreed with me uh, by how good it was. Um, so, yeah, so go and read that uh, review. Um, and, and yeah, pick up the book when you can. It's really good. Highly recommend it. You can get it digital via Kindle, and you can get it... Um, on uh, in paperback in all your local comic stores and uh, bookstores as well. Um, so that was the Adventure Zone. Here there be goblins. Um, again, highly recommend it. Um, next, I want to talk about Fantastic Four. Now, the Fantastic Four. Full disclosure: I am a huge Fantastic Four fan. Um, I'm looking up now, and I can see I've got uh, five omnibus volumes of Fantastic Four. I've got numerous kind of paperback trades. Um, I've got pictures on my wall of Fantastic Four. Uh, I love them. Ben Grimm. Uh, is my favourite character, um, my favourite Marvel character, my favourite superhero, my favourite full stop uh, kind of fictional character. Um, so, yeah, the Fantastic Four returning after three years of them not having a Fantastic Four comic uh, is a huge deal. Um, the characters have been involved in other storylines. So, um, well, the Human Torch and the Thing have been involved in other storylines. The rest of the Fantastic Four, so Reed Richards and Sue Storm and the kids, have been missing uh, ever since the end of uh, 2015's Secret Wars event. Um, so what happened in Secret Wars is the universe, the multiverse was destroyed only to be remade by uh, the Multiple Man with the help of Reed Richards. And Reed Richards, Sue Storm uh, Richards and the kids went off into the cosmos to remake the multiverse and they were never seen again. Um, it was assumed by the world and uh, the Thing and Human Torch that they were dead, uh, that they had died at the end of Secret Wars. However, there was um, optimism by a lot of people close to the family, including Johnny Storm, uh, Sue's brother, who is the Human Torch, um, that they were actually alive, you know, that they would never die like that. They would, um, they they found some way to survive and thrive and they're just, yeah, they're lost. They're finding their way back to us. Um, but because there hasn't been a Fantastic Four book in three years, we haven't really been able to fully explore that storyline and what happened to them and where they are. Um, until now, until Dan Slott and uh, Sarah Pacelli have been able to bring back the Fantastic Four in a major way. Uh, there was rumours for a long time that um, the actual characters and the Fantastic Four as a concept was being squashed by Marvel, um, by Marvel higher-ups, because they didn't want um, to you know, provide any kind of... Um, you know, sustenance for the uh, the movies, uh, which the rights of which were not owned by Marvel Studios. Uh, so there was a bit of rumours saying that Fantastic Four had been wiped from merchandising and stuff like that. And it did certainly seem that way uh, for a long time because you couldn't, you know, a lot of the merchandise stopped having them on the front. Um, the, uh, the comics, they weren't, you know, there wasn't a Fantastic Four comic. There wasn't any real use of the characters like the thing and human torch have been the only ones obviously still around the thing was in the background of infamous iron man for a little bit um human torch was in in humans comics which again who is really reading those no one i don't think um but uh, but yeah so they were in the background but they weren't really used that much now again whether that rumor is true or not remains to be seen either way um last year marvel 2 in 1 uh, was released as a new series as part of marvel legacy by Chip Zdarsky and uh, a couple of artists, and uh, Adam Cubitt, I think, was the um, the uh, the predominant artist on it. 
Um, but the Marvel 2-in-1, what that did was take Human Torch and the Thing and explore their relationship in the wake of the Fantastic Four breaking up and look at um, how they are coping uh, without their family and friends and how they are um, moving forward. So uh, Chip Zdarsky, the writer, set up this um, idea that Reed Richards had a sort of a will um, and he left an item um, called a multisect uh, for... Uh, ben Grimm and he, Johnny Storm and he said look I if you're reading this or if you're hearing this I'm dead and gone however um, you know use this multisect to carry on our legacy and explore the universe and the multiverse and just live your lives and do everything you need to do to be the heroes I know that you are um, however Ben Grimm couldn't bring himself to to tell Johnny that this was um, his you know last will and testament and in Reed Richards his last wish, so instead he kind of lied by omission and led Johnny to believe that this was the way this machine would lead them back to the Fantastic Four, lead them back to his sister and brother-in-law and niece and nephew, and lead them all to be back together. Um, and so uh, Chip Zdarsky's been exploring that um, and along of. Or through the last kind of six seven months of uh, Marvel two and one, and so this first issue of Fantastic Four picks up, you know, the reins from that storyline, and uh, kind of reestablishes the fact that Ben and Johnny have been um, missing the Fantastic Four, missing their um, their family, and uh, how they're coping, how they're coping each differently coping with it, and Ben is a lot more pessimistic, a lot more downtrodden, whereas Johnny's a lot more optimistic and kind of you know they're out there they're waiting to be found um and so you know this this first issue of fantastic four doesn't really bring the fantastic four back together um which was kind of the biggest concern uh kind of criticism that i had of the issue when i reviewed it for multiversitycomics.com um the i still gave it an eight out of ten i still think the first issue was brilliant and i still think it was a great start really promising uh, for the series moving forward a lot of fun which is what it should be a lot of promise of adventure which again fantastic four should be and a lot of focus on the characters and them as a family them as a team them as friends um and the one thing that dan slot will be bringing with him from his days of uh, on amazing spider-man is this kind of uh ability to craft a world full of characters um am i uh, spider-man peter parker has got a rich tapestry of secondary supporting characters around him uh, from Mary Jane and Harry Osborn, you know, onwards to, you know, the, all the minor characters that he's got around him in the rogues gallery. And Fantastic Four have been known to have that as well, uh, depending on the writer. Uh, Jonathan Hickman, the last kind of long, long run on Fantastic Four was by Jonathan Hickman, and he introduced so many concepts and characters uh, that eventually the Fantastic Four turned into the Future Foundation, uh, which was a, you know, a school basically for gifted um youngsters um and they were uh, there was about eight to ten twelve of these characters that supported the fantastic four and went with them on adventures and stuff so i'm really hoping that that gets explored that gets reintroduced that gets um you know reinstated really because that was great that was really great kind of um development for their for their storyline um, and so yeah so i'm hoping that that's where it goes at the moment though the first issue was just about Johnny and uh, Ben Grimm um, and which was good which was fine but again it, we've seen that we've seen that done in Marvel 2 and 1 and we've seen that done really well in Marvel 2 and 1 as well um, and Marvel 2 and 1 is going to be continuing um, so how that is going to kind of dovetail into 
Fantastic Four remains to be seen. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it is um, it is great to um, to have the Fantastic Four back, uh, even though this first issue didn't really reintroduce them as a team fully. Um, what it did do, however, is reintroduce Doctor Doom. Now again, Secret Wars, the end of Secret Wars, changed Doctor Doom completely. He was, within that storyline, he was God Emperor Doom. He had um, manipulated um, both the multiple man uh, not the multiple man the molecule man uh sorry and the um and the beyonders um into you know the end of the multiverse uh, in, he crafted this uh patchwork battle world um that uh, was a amalgamation of multiple multiple uh, multiverses uh, different universes sorry um and in, in which he had reinstated himself he had instated himself as the uh, god emperor uh, of this of this world and following the conclusion of that he was stripped of all that power he was dropped again to being once again just being a, a man a wizard um, and a dictator um, but he was changed he wanted to be a hero he wanted to be a, um, a reformed being so uh, following the end of secret wars he went on to be infamous iron man uh, I, tony Stark when tony Stark died uh, or you know appeared to die anyway um victor von doom took up the mantle of uh, Iron Man, um, along with um, Riri Williams, who took up the role of Ironheart, and uh, he did good for a while. You know, he was um, there was a lot of pushback against yeah, against his kind of face turn by um, the Thing and by Shield and by uh, other villains that wanted to see him brought down and brought to justice. Um, but for the most part, he had become this, you know, if not a good person, then uh, at least kind of an anti-hero of sorts. However, in this Fantastic Four issue one, there is a backup story involving Doctor Doom written by Dan Slott and uh, drawn by, illustrated by um, Simone Bianchi, and that basically um, re-establishes Doom uh, as the, you know, villain that we kind of are familiar with. Um, and I've got a few kind of gripes with that like not i don't i would i hesitate to say i've got problems with it because this is the first issue this is the first kind of mini storyline that we've seen and i don't really want to um judge a book by its cover uh or you know the the short story that's inside those covers however um this storyline basically very quickly reintroduced Doctor Doom, uh, re reintroduced Victor Von Doom as Doctor Doom. You know, he'd stopped being Iron Man in Infamous Iron Man. Um, he had um, experienced a fight with the Hood, which meant that he ended up with a scar into his face again, um, which was, you know, obviously a bit convenient. And he, in this storyline, he returned to Latveria and picked up the mantle of being the, you know, the dictator of that country again, put the Doctor Doom armor back on, including the face um, face panel, uh, which turned him back into Doctor Doom, for want of a better word. Um, and and yeah, so there's I think there's a more of a story to be told there. I think there's more of an arc for him to be going on, um, or at least I hope there will be, um, because on the one hand, you can't really have the Fantastic Four without having Doctor Doom. Um, as their villain, as their primary nemesis. Some of the best Fantastic Four stories have involved Doom as their enemy, as their nemesis. And let's face it, Doctor Doom as a villain is such a good villain. He's arguably the best villain that Marvel has, you know? And so to 
to strip that from him and to make him an anti-hero or to make him a kind of um, a reformed villain was an interesting story, was one that I think was unique and worth exploring. And I really enjoyed Infamous Iron Man. I really enjoyed everything that Doctor Doom has gone on in the last, you know, the journey that he's gone on in the last um, number of years. However, that was never going to last. You know, comics always go back to the, you know, the the same old you know and and not in a bad way you know they there are new stories to be told with all of these characters there always will be but um you know they will it's the same as characters never stay dead you know characters always come back to life eventually and villains always goes back to being villains heroes go back to being heroes um you know look at what's happened to steve rogers captain america over the last few years you know he was transformed into this you know unsalvageable villain you know uh through mystical shenanigans and they brought him back as captain america um and they haven't done it without um you know criticism and without kind of uh its troubles however they have done it they had to do it you know captain america needed to come back as a character he was never going to be a villain forever um and you know much like you could say that dr doom was never going to be a hero forever um and so i hope that dan slot gives that the weight that it deserves i am going to wait and see so i hope that no one thinks that i'm not going to be doing that i'm absolutely going to give it the credit it deserves and i give dan slot you know for for all his kind of potential faults as um as a social media user um he's i've always enjoyed his his writing i've always enjoyed his uh, his work on amazing spider-man i've loved it over the last you know years that he's been doing it for i don't even i hesitate to think how long it actually been i think it might have even been 10 years he was writing spider-man for um yeah so i've kind of i've really enjoyed that i really loved what he's done with that character and what he's done with the the growing supporting cast that he gave amazing spider-man um and so i'm i'm really looking forward to what's going on with this fantastic four um as i said earlier um, I am doing a monthly annotations article for multiversitycomics.com uh, that is called From the Files of the Baxter Building. Um, again, thanks to Brian for the name. Um, and in that article, I'm going to be deep diving into the history of the Fantastic Four um, through recaps of the latest issues of both Fantastic Four and Marvel 2-in-1. Um, so this month on the, the very first um, the very first. Uh, annotations article that i did in this series um i recapped everything that happened in ff number one and um, i kind of touched on what had happened in marvel 2 in one and touched on the the relationship between those two issues and how they work together or don't work together um and then from there i um thought because it's the first volume because it's the first article in this series because it's discussing the very first issue of fantastic four uh, in three years i thought it'd be fun to go back through the, the first issues that fantastic four has had um, in the 57 years that it's been uh, published. So surprisingly, uh, there have been six issue ones of Fantastic Four over the years. And that's not including FF, that's not including miniseries and one-shots and, um, and alternate universe versions like House of M and 1602. Uh, this is literally straight Fantastic Four uh, issue one. Um, and there have been six of them. So there was the first from 1961. There was volume two, uh, which was the Heroes Reborn stuff from 1996. There was the volume three, which was Heroes Reborn The Return from a year later, from 1997, 1998. Uh, and then there was, um, after that, there was um, the uh, the other one, the next one, which was 2012, I think, which was Marvel Now. Um, and then there was... Um, 2014 which was uh, again marvel now but it was uh, following on from that 
initial run with Matt Fraction. They rebooted the series yet again. And then there was number six was the latest one, 2018. Um, and it's interesting going back and reading them because you're obviously not meant to read them one after the other. But for this article I did, I went back and I read them as, as singular issues. And there was a couple of things I wanted to ask myself. I wanted to I wanted to ask the question of, do they work as first issues? You know, how do they work as an introduction to the team, to the series, to the concept of what the uh, of what the comic book is going to be moving forward? Um, and I wanted to ask how they worked against each other. You know, how did they compare? You know, did um, did Stan and Jack really do the best number one? Um, was the thirty eight years between the nineteen sixty one volume one number one and the volume two number one? How had that how had that changed things? How had that changed the uh, the comics landscape? How had that changed in 38, 38 years? And um, and did this second number one need to be done? And if so, how did it present itself? And it was fascinating because the the very first number one from 1961, 62 with um, you know by Jan, uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee is you know significant. It's a seminal issue. You know the the cover's iconic. The issue itself is is iconic. There's a lot of even if you've never read it, there's a lot of panels from there that you'll have seen uh, referenced, and it's an influential work. Um, not only for comics from years to come, but also influential in the sense that it, it was the birth of the modern Marvel Universe, that issue. Um, they call the Fantastic Four Marvel's first family, and that's because that issue kick-started the modern Marvel Universe as we know it. So before that, it was uh, gold and early Silver Age stuff, monster comics, western comics, romance comics, um, but uh, Fantastic Four number one ushered in a new shared universe of of superheroes uh, that has continued on to this to this day you know and will continue on for years to come um, and that was all because of fantastic four issue one so for that alone that issue is um is seminal it's worth reading it's worth picking up it's on comics it's on marvel unlimited so it's you know it's there ready for you to read um, and i recommend it you know is it good it's fine you know it's a product of its time it's uh, it's still fun there's still bits to enjoy from it but it's more of a an interesting piece you know rather than it being a thoroughly entertaining and it's not going to be anyone's favorite issue you know um but it, it's not even the best that Stan and Jack would do together you know they would go on to do um you know X-Men and Thor and Incredible Hulk and so many other you know comics and concepts um however you know Fantastic Four went from strength to strength you know as a series it exploded the Marvel Universe it you know literally in places you know they had the coming of Galactus which is uh, amazing amazing still stands up today as a fantastic story so um no pun intended um, so yes, that first issue is is fascinating, and then thirty eight years later, uh, in nineteen ninety six, following the speculator bubble bursting and the bankruptcy of Marvel Comics, um, you know they they rebooted a bunch of their series, uh, giving them to Image Comics writers and founders, and Fantastic Four went to Jim Lee and Brandon Choi, and uh, and it's an interesting uh, again it's an interesting volume because. The Heroes Reborn experiment would only last for 12 months. Um, and in that time, the Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Avengers and Captain America were all rebooted within this pocket universe um, that was created by Franklin Richards, the son of uh, Reed and Sue, um, as a way of saving the lives of all these heroes who sacrificed themselves or seemingly sacrificed themselves to fight against Onslaught, which was a huge Omega-level mutant that uh, that was the major, major event of, 19, of the mid-90s. Um, and so the Fantastic Four were rebooted, and so with a reboot you get a brand new start for the characters. And so this second 
issue one is the only other um, issue one to completely explore these characters from scratch. So we see modern updated, well, modern for the 90s, you know, a 1996 updated version of these characters um, and their, you know, adventure into space, which saw the, you know, the cosmic rays affect them and they crashed back, land, crashed back down to Earth and they were... Um, and they were changed forever into the Fantastic Four. And then over the next eleven issues, uh, the next twelve issues, including that one, you get to see a kind of a rebooted version, a new modern retelling of these characters that wouldn't really be seen outside of uh, Ultimate Universe. You know, so there was Ultimate Fantastic Four issue one, which I I didn't cover in the article because it isn't a you know a jet. A, a, a prime 616 universe version of Fantastic Four. It's a, it's an alternate take on the Fantastic Four. Uh, but again, that covers um, the you know the beginnings of the accident. So the Ultimate Fantastic Four issue one is a bit more of a uh, decompressed storyline. So everything um, in Fantastic Four issue one from 61 and Fantastic Four issue one from 1996, they both tell that story. You know the change, the 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 space flight the cosmic rays accident the crash back land to earth the transformation is all covered in that first issue whereas in ultimate fantastic four it's decompressed over the first kind of six issues um and it's an alternate take as well so i didn't really cover it but you know go and dig that out if you want to as well that's an entertaining uh, read mark miller i think um and um oh who's the artist on it? i can't remember i'll have to dig it out i've literally got it on the shelf in front of me so i'll get it in a minute um but yeah so um so that is um that's the 1996 volume and then 12 issues later as i say um the uh heroes reborn initiative was folded back into the regular marvel universe and so heroes reborn the return uh, was created um and that was um that was then uh, a new number one time for a new number one uh, which came out and that was then done um by um it was uh, alan davis mark farmer um and it was uh written by oh um i'm not I'm, i'll tell you what i'm doing two things at once here i'm trying to tell you who the creators are on ultimate fantastic four so i've got the volume here in front of me i'm gonna have a look at that now it is brian michael bendis and mark miller on writing adam cubert on pencils danny mickey and john dell on inks dave stewart on colors uh, the legend that is dave stewart and chris eliopoulos on uh, is the letterer and that's for the first volume of ultimate fantastic four um entitled the fantastic um so yeah so thank you to that volume let's go back on the shelf and the actual um volume three issue one um of uh, fantastic four um was uh, drawn as i say by alan davis and mark farmer and then it was written by um scott lobdell who was a big uh, comics writer at the time um and i i've got a bit of a um a kind of a, a nostalgic relationship with these comics um i didn't really mention it i mentioned it in the article uh, but i didn't mention it a few minutes ago with um with volume two my first ever comic book if you listen to the very first pilot episode of um of well issue uh, episode one of um that's the issue uh from last year you'll hear me and wes talk about our first comic book issues that we that we ever read and for me it was um a uk reprint of heroes reborn but it was the second issue so it was uh, it was an issue a, hard, a kind of a cardboard cover um issue that uh, issue number two of marvel heroes reborn and it reprinted Fantastic Four issue two from volume two and Iron Man issue two from Iron Man volume two. Um, and the Fantastic Four issues were, they blew me away. Like it was Jim Lee on art and, you know, 
14 year old boy you know jim lee is your bread and butter you know as a 14 year old lad or 14 year old you know kid uh, who loves comics like this like at that time for me mid 90s jim lee was amazing and he was everything and uh, i still like jim lee's art today like i'm not a huge fan of the books he gets attached to um but i will look back on these on volume two or these first issues of volume two of fantastic four with a great fondness and i'll look at these characters and yes they're kind of 90s versions of the characters and in my eyes kind of mike waringo uh, the late mike waringo uh, will always be my fantastic four artist and uh, you know the the world between mike waringo and jim lee is is staggering you know there is no comparison between the two uh, and yet still i love these fantastic four issues and um likewise as that was my first kind of exposure to marvel comics like physical you know issues of marvel comics i'd watch cartoons and i'd read you know trades and volumes of things from my friends in the past um and found at kind of jumble sales and stuff like that but this was the first kind of you know issue that i picked up off the shelf uh, it was a uk reprint my first um you know uh, american copy um, you know real genuine comic book that i picked up brand new off the shelf was fantastic for volume three issue one because uh, what had happened is i loved these uk reprints and but they were coming out once a month and i was like i want more you know i want to read between the lines i want to read between these stories i want to read what else is going on you know because they're referencing a lot more comics a lot more those days superhero comics especially were very much like you know uh, telling a, an offhand remark by a character with a little asterisk that says oh read read so and so to find out more you know and so these issues were were like that and so they were referencing comics i've never heard of and i i wanted to read and so i went to i headed to the comic shop um for me personally it was nostalgia and comics in birmingham and i went there and i looked for the fantastic four and i looked for iron man because those were the characters that i was familiar with and from there i would expand outwards um and the uk reprints were a few months behind which is what they still are now you can still buy these reprint uk reprints in like sainsbury's and asda and whatever and I pick them up occasionally with a bit of a certain nostalgic fondness. Um, and they're always a bit behind, you know. So I think at the moment in stores they're doing kind of um, like Venomverse and stuff like that. So the, and that was, you know, about six months ago. So I think they're always kind of about six months behind. And it was the same in you know in 1997 as well so when i went to the comic book store volume three you know heroes reborn the return had already been and gone and volume three had just started and so you know when people say oh every issue every comic is someone's first um it's it was a bizarre thing for me and i don't know how i did it and i don't know whether i'd be able to jump into comics now if i knew that there was there was two volumes of the same characters that i was reading and somehow they were connected and the heroes reborn the return thing was kind of a convoluted story in which case in which the characters were folded into a pocket dimension that was that happened to be um within the pocket of us within the rubber ball of a small child and it's like how did i get into comics by reading this mess you know and, and not only that i kind of picked up issue two of volume two and then issue one of volume three and somehow my brain kind of managed to make sense of this jumbled mess and over the, the coming months the british reprints caught up to that volume three until you know about a year later the uk reprints were then reprinting the us issues that i'd already bought and so i kind of dropped the uk reprints and then carried on with the us ones and so i'd be able i kind of patchworked this this storyline together myself um from these issues um but the result of that is that i read these issues dozens and dozens of times you know so if you read comics from when you were a kid 
And I suppose, you know, in a very old man kind of way, I'm about to, you know, ramble for a minute, old man yells at clouds kind of thing. Um, but, you know, na- nowadays kids will have access to comicsology and Marvel Unlimited and, you know, digital comics are there, ready and waiting for them. You know, hundreds of thousands of amazing, amazing comics for them to read. And, hun- well, hundreds of amazing comics and thousands of not-so-amazing comics. Um, but for me back then and for anyone kind of you know, my age, quote unquote, um, you know, when you went to a comic book store and you picked up a comic, you bought it home, that was it, that was your one comic. And so you'd pore over it, you'd read it from cover to cover. And so that was what I was like with these Fantastic Four and Iron Man issues. And so I've got a, I've got a particular fondness for these comics. And so Fantastic Four, Volume 3, Issue 1, even the cover is I love it. You know, I I think it's amazing. I've 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 included a, co- a copy of the cover on the article, uh, the Baxter Budding article that I've done. So go and check that out. Um, and yeah, Volume Three, Issue One, concerns of Fantastic Four as they've returned from the Heroes Reborn universe. They're back in their own six on six. They're ready to re-establish themselves as heroes, and uh, and they do just that in a kind of you know a fun adventure. And the, the art on it, I love the art. Uh, I think um, Alan Davis has always been a favourite of mine uh, with Excalibur and stuff like that, and so. Uh, this was no different um and then that continued on you know fantastic four i continued i kind of dropped off as i went to uni- university and then i picked them back up a few years later kind of dive back into comics then i kind of hardcore dove into comics then so you know my world exploded with kind of disposable income and uh and just this this world of comic books in front of me so catching up on the ones i was reading as well as reading the modern ones as well um but uh but yeah so fantastic four volume three would um do what Marvel Comics did back then, which was, um, you know, the the first volume of Fantastic Four ended at issue 416, going into this onslaught saga, which would then lead into volume two, which was issues one to 12. And then volume three would pick up after that and with a new number one, as I just mentioned, and they would go on for 70 issues. And then issue 71 picked up the numbering from the volume one era so it kind of what they now call legacy numbering and so um issue 71 became issue 500 and uh and then that again that continued on then for another 80 odd issues so until issue 588 um which ended in the middle of jonathan hickman's run so jonathan hickman i just mentioned he had a amazing amazing grand sweeping storyline that swept through marvel comics that started with secret warriors went through fantastic four through avengers and ended in 2015 with secret wars now you could read any of these individual volumes so you could pick up his fantastic four comics and read them and love them you could pick up secret warriors which is where agents of shield have taken a lot of their inspiration from Pick it up, read it, love it. Same with Avengers. Um, but when you read them all back to back, and S.H.I.E.L.D. is also in there as well. He's got like a, an untold history of S.H.I.E.L.D. which goes back to kind of Leonardo da Vinci and the, the even back further to the pyramids and stuff and covers the history of the Marvel Universe. Again, that is tied into his grander story. Um, and if you read all of them, it's absolutely incredible. You know, it's, his, um, I, it's my personally, it's my favourite you know, kind of Marvel comics, Fantastic Four. His Fantastic Four run is absolutely incredible, um, and it's um, and it's it's absolutely worth kind of reading through all these stories. Um, but uh, but his his series uh, when he was halfway through Fantastic Four, a major event happened in his run that I'm not going to spoil. Um, that ended the Fantastic Four comic, and he picked up with a brand new series called FF, which is where the Future Foundation come from, which is what I'm talking about earlier. Um, long story short. 
Fantastic Four as a series and FF as a series, um, you know, continued on in their own ways until um, they were ended with um, with uh, issue six eleven of Fantastic Four and uh, issue twenty three of FF, and then they were bo- both of those series were picked up and were, were written by Matt Fraction uh, in two thousand twelve as part of the Marvel Now initiative, um, and that's where the uh, fourth volume one comes from is from Matt Fraction's run, and then after that there was a Fantastic Four in two thousand fourteen, uh, which was done by James Robinson, Leonard Kirk, Carl Kiesel, Jesus Arbatov. Uh, the Matt Fraction one was uh, done by Mark Bagley, Mark Farmer, and Paul Mounts, by the way. Um, and I'll go into greater detail on these issues in the article that I wrote. So uh, you know, please nudge, nudge, please go and read the article uh, and let me know what you think. Um, and then uh, following that uh, series that James Robinson did, he uh, ran it from volume uh, from volume five, essentially issue one, uh, up to issue fourteen, and then it was renumbered again to six hundred and forty-two for the legacy numbering until its conclusion in six hundred and forty-five. So why it was renumbered for those last you know three or four issues, I'll never know. Um, but um, basically, issue four six four five was the very last issue of Fantastic Four, and if you pick up the brand new issue one of Fantastic Four that came out last week, um, you'll see that it has number one on the front, but underneath it has LGY for legacy numbering number 646. And that's where we're at with Fantastic Four today. You know, that's where we're at with them. Um, There's been 646 issues of Fantastic Four, including kind of FF in some uh, strange, you know, number fudging a little bit there. Um, but yeah, so that's that's where the Fantastic Four are now. You know, if you want to know more, again, as I say, about uh, where they all where they where they went where they come from where they are now uh head on over to multiversitycomics.com and pick up from the files of the baxter building which is uh, my new article series i'd love to know your thoughts on it it's the first time i've written a uh, an annotation style column um certainly for multiversity comics and it's the first time in probably about three or four years that i've written an article like this that isn't a just a review or kind of a listicle it is actually a um sort of an opinion piece but also more of a kind of a editorial for want of a better word uh, in which i kind of go over the history of specifically in this article i go over the history of number ones which i've just kind of uh, touched on with yourselves but i also go over the history of alicia masters uh, because she plays a significant part of fantastic four issue one um for reasons i won't uh, i won't spoil here um but yes yeah, so it's the first kind of article like i've read i've written for a long time and i'm going to be doing that once a month so i'm uh, really excited to bring that to you um and really excited to have been able to talk about fantastic four with you here today as well as talking about adventure zone here there be goblins so if you've picked up either adventure zone uh, volume one or fantastic four issue one then please get in touch let me know what you think um you know leave a message in the comments below if you're on multiversitycomics.com or send me uh tweets to at matt loon or at that's the issue um or you can send me an email which is that's the issue podcast at gmail.com if you would like to let me know your thoughts on there as well if you any of you reach out to me with uh, opinions comments criticisms well not criticisms hopefully um but uh, if you have any of that please let me know and i'll read them out on the next show um but that's it for me i think i've waffled on for enough on my own um so i have uh, been talking for uh, just over an hour now but thank you so much for listening if you're still listening to me now i you know think you're crazy but i really appreciate you listening um i will see you next month um where should be 
should be back with me next month um you know the reasons he wasn't here this month are mostly my own fault really because we did it was very last minute planning for me i'd forgotten that this show was uh, was due and so i kind of reached out to him it was all a bit last minute and um and so we'll plan ourselves plan our times for next month a little bit better hopefully we'll um We'll have a question that will reach out to you on Twitter. So if you follow me, uh, I'm at Matt Loon or the show, and that's the issue, or where's at Geek Who Landed, um, you can, uh, one of us will reach out to you with a question, uh, a comics issues-based question, um, and you can send your answers in, and we'll include them as part of next week, uh, next month's show. Um, but yeah, that's it for me. Uh, thank you for hearing me waffle once again, and uh, I'll speak to you again next month. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.